Good morning, everybody. You're on Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, highlight games athlete, strength coach. I'm at my lowest body weight in like six years. I was 247. Oh, geez. Yeah. You're going to float away. I know. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute and creator of the Flex Diet Certification, which opens, I know when you're listening to this, uh, Monday, June 6th. Shameless plug. Go to flexdiet.com. Learn that. I'm back here in Minnesota and it's been very nice. This is Coach Durrell out of Strength Guild in KC. Um, actually, Phil and I are almost weighing the same. Hey, look at that. Oh. Yeah. One of my clients I've had for like 12 years is almost the same as me, too. It's like, you're going to fucking catch me finally. <laughs> Skinny little Matt Coates, who started with me when he was like 14, and he's now 25 with kids. Nice. So, yeah. What was his body weight starting, and where is he at? Oh, probably 150 pounds, and now he's 240. <laughs> nice. But, yeah. We were talking about this the other day with clients. I think I've had the two longest standing clients I've had are at 11 years, like 10 or 11 years. And it's like now I coach both of their kids. Yeah. <laughs> their kids yep. when they were like, I, actually, both their kids I've seen. Well, one is just middle school and high school, but the one I've seen from elementary school. Through graduation. Mm, yep. That and the ones I've had them where they come in high school and then they go off to college and then they come back. Yeah. You know, I've seen a lot of those. And it's like, oh, man, I'm old. No, we were joking. One of my clients sent me. There's an, some guy here locally that's training people, and he put up an ad. And, like, his big talking point was, I've had people stay with me for as long as two years. And she was like, that's a fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> Two years? That's like, I'm one of those people that don't even, you're not even a client until you've been here two years. That's when I start remembering your name. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the point where you actually remember their name, right? Yep. So, yeah, good times. But So, the world's strongest man happened. We were talking about that last week. And uh, even though we all had hoped to see Shaw get his uh, fourth or whatever it is. It did not happen. So he took fourth. Uh, Stoltzman with the United Kingdom got his second in a row. He commanding lead, too, almost 10 points. Wow. So, um, and then Martin Lissus took second. And Oleski Novikov tied. Well, I don't know how they broke that up because second and third have exactly the same amount of points. There must have been some kind of tiebreaker of it. Um, and then Shaw is just behind that. In fourth, so uh, I don't. I didn't watch any uh, videos or anything that people were sending out. So I'll have to wait and actually see the event to see what pulled off. But uh, aside from what we have here, but it looks like Stoltman wrapped it up at the end and just killed everybody in the stones by almost four seconds. Which oh yeah, which in a game of inches like that's that, a lot. It's a lot, yeah, because everybody else was within a couple seconds of each other. But, um, and let's see, he took. I'll just look at the winner. He took first in stones, third in bus pole, second in the power stairs, second in the giants medley. So it took a lot of seconds. Seconds in the deadlift, second in the. Flintstone barbell, and that would be all of it. So basically, he took a he didn't win an event. Second, second, second. So stones. Second, yeah. So yeah, a crap load of seconds, a third, and a first. See, that's I mean, just tells you right there. That's one yeah, good thing can, about strongman is just being consistent. Yeah, if you can just consistently place pretty high, yeah, going to be in the in the running. Yep. So, but I mean, I would think Shaw would be good at stones. He's a big dude, but uh, he took fourth, hmm. like 
by a four, 15 second margin almost. Um, and then the bus pole, that's the stuff that we talked about. Like you've seen it over the years. He's probably stronger than ever, but just doesn't move like a young man anymore, which is normal for people yeah. to get old. But, uh, I guess I just wonder to... about the endurance and how, you know, and obviously Shaw has strategy <laughs> down too, but you know, it, it's not like you can go balls out on day one and win two events and then nobody no. hears from you again. You know, yeah. you have to kind of figure out, okay, what events am I really going to kind of go for it and at what point? And it's obviously over multiple events. Yeah. But notable storylines. Mark Felix set a new world record in the wrecking ball hold. Hmm. Gabriel Rihame. Oh. Sorry about that. Became second man ever to take the final through the off stone. After the stone off, five men became finalist. How old is Mark Felix now? He's got to be up there because he's been doing this shit forever. Uh, I'm looking now because 56. Ooh. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yep, one in 66. He makes me feel young. There ain't no yeah. way I could get up there to that. I mean, I could. I would regret it for <laughs> a month. That's the That's thing about getting solid. old, man. Oh. That's a pretty solid longevity story. Yeah. It's, I mean, look how long has he been doing it. Um, he qualified for World's Strongest Man in 2007. So, yeah, 15 years, 15. And I mean, one would expect he was doing it long before he was qualified for World's Strongest Man. Oh, yeah. So, um, he's never won it. The highest he's taken is seventh. He's done a lot of the Giants live and stuff like that. He's taken podium spots. But. He's done a lot of grip events too. I met yeah, seeing that. Yeah, there's event. a lot of grip stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's Arnold and uh, super nice dude, but he's a big man. <laughs> yeah, they're all huge. <laughs> yeah, they're all huge. That's it. I still remember it was my first Olympia, and hell, it's probably where I met you. And uh, I ended up at dinner with Derek Poundstone and some other people. And holy fuck! Oh yeah, I. I was a midget among men. <laughs> and I was too 30 to 40, but holy yeah. crap. It's just when you're around dudes that are like six, six plus and 400 pounds. Oh, that and shot putters. Are, yes. Shot putters are amazingly huge for, for people that toss a 16 pound ball. Uh, it's amazing how big those, those people are. So, yeah, I, Went to one of the NSCA local clinics. They had um, uh, Dave Oslin when he was, I think he had just retired from competing uh, from Minnesota, World's Strongest Man competitor, and the two uh, Gillingham brothers were there. And at the time, I think Dave was still six seven, like well over 300. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gillingham brothers were huge. And we got a picture standing between the three of them, and I'm like, I feel like so mm. so small. <laughs> yeah. Something up. Oh man. Other than that, man, we got the uh like we talked about before the show came on, just CrossFit stuff. That's what I've been seeing is you know, one of my buddies posted some stuff about you know, I know I bag CrossFit a lot, but he's sitting there watching some of the granite game stuff and that's the resounding theme you get. Like, the methods they promote, not many people like. But it's like, when you watch the athletes, they're hella fucking great, good athletes. Oh, yeah. And it's realizing the, the disconnection between the two. Uh, and it's been that way forever. And the sad part is, a lot of people don't realize it. It's, I mean, most of the athletes aren't doing the box programming. But, no. Um, I haven't for years. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's the same thing as the people that are naive about, like, oh my god, there's drugs in bodybuilding? Yeah. <laughs> it's just what? the same. Yeah. The same crowd. It's, but, uh, so that's coming up. And we were looking at some of the events. I, I lost them here, but lots and lots of chipper type stuff. Uh, which, man, good on you. Like I said, I used to do a lot of this CrossFit type things. Like I told people I did CrossFit before CrossFit was the thing. And, uh, it's fun, man. It'll get your ass in shape. And I still have my people do like short. It's like CrossFit would claim they invented, uh, like strength endurance workouts, but, uh, Metcons. Yeah. The Metcon type thing. And basically that's all CrossFit did is they put a name on everything and like trademarked it. Um, the creation of anything new was not really a thing, but, um, yeah, I mean, we just tend to do mindless things. That's where I cut the line. Like, I don't do anything that's like, ah, oh, your chances of injury are 50%. Let's fucking do that for time. <laughs> but uh, You're saying you're not going to do a bunch of burpees, deadlift, and then box jumps? Yeah, with, like, inverted rope climbs, one-legged, something yeah. stupid, you know. Uh, <laughs> GHP I mean, sit-ups. Yeah, and even, like, me and my training partner have been doing uh, just assistance work with, like, EDT type stuff, you know, curls mm-hmm. and push downs and just put yourself against the clock. And it's a nice change of pace for somebody that's into a pure strength sport to get some sweat and stuff going on. You know? but, yeah. I usually, I use the, like I still maintain some of the Metcon strategy for a lot of my stuff, some endurance, but not a lot, but mostly like it's a way to kind of quote unquote hide my, endurance or hide my assistance work yeah yeah so i use it for that for the most part like i don't like the stronger by design program that we it's like a the main just kind of general strength and conditioning program it's like my rule of thumb is basically five to 20 minutes if i go longer than that if it goes longer than that i messed up and if you're not (laughs) able to just keep moving the whole time i messed up like yeah or you would mess up and went too heavy like it should feel like that, where it's like, and even if I should say work. So sometimes I'll do rest based stuff, like rest one to ones and stuff like that. But yeah, for me, it's a good way to pack in all that assistance work type stuff. Yeah. Most lifters hate it. You know, like for me, direct arm work, I just won't do it. And mm-hmm. you know, since we started doing this, it's like, oh, okay, I got a timer against me. I got something to go for. Okay. And, uh, and get it done. But, yeah. Yeah, and I've been to the Granite Games before uh, when I was in St. Cloud. It's in Egan, Minnesota right now. So I'm probably going to go down there either later today or tomorrow. And been to the CrossFit Games when it's been in Madison. And, yeah, to see it in person, it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, even just watching the events, you know, on TV. And like you guys said, it's so crazy how... I wouldn't really do any of their programming, you know, but the athletes competing, it's, it's extremely impressive, especially oh, when you yeah. can see it in person and you see the same person show up day one with multiple events, day two, day three. It's like, yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. What makes me curious about the whole process now is like, even it's like, I'm surprised to see that everyone's still going the longer chipper endurance. It's like, who are they trying to appease with that, that stuff? Yeah, because in terms of viewership, shorter, kind of quicker bursts of things like a, a strongman light would by far and away be easier to watch. The chipper stuff is almost like impossible to keep up with. They do it now where they have this long lane. Yeah. And they set up the equipment where it's like you can see who's ahead of what. Mm-hmm. So like that, I think, was probably the best thing they ever did for their viewership type stuff but at the same time the running mm-hmm. is like to me they program boring stuff like now boring stuff for a long time like no one wants to see somebody sit on a rower like yeah a rower or a bike those yeah. are the worst let's, let's start off with uh, a marathon row oh boy yeah. like I was there that year I'm like I didn't yeah. watch that at all Ugh. well no one did like no. there was and then they yeah. had Several rowers break down and 
all that shit. But yeah, and that goes back to what we talked about with strongman. Like when you're a CrossFit organizer, fuck, even maybe more so with CrossFit, like anything goes. Like you have the chance to have these people do anything you want. Um, so why pick boring shit? You know, <laughs> especially for a big event, I can see it. Like it doesn't matter if it's like Drell's backyard games. Nobody's gonna be watching anyway. <laughs> but when you have something large like this, I mean, it's sponsored by Rogue and No Bowl and all that stuff. So you, you're guessing, yeah, there's a live stream. Like, give yourself a chance to win. You know, do shit that's fun for the average person to watch. And that's where, who knows, maybe you need to, you can get a little close to the project and uh, step back or get somebody to step back that can look at your event from a general population aspect. Like, what would you want to see? What do the, what do the masses want to see? Um, and just figure out some fun shit, you know. Have them get chased by pit bulls or something. <laughs> yeah, but well, even yeah. so you mentioned the run. You said that is it was a thousand meter runs, right? Yeah, here's the the endure endure the sled. That's the last thing, and it's a uh, fifty yard sled push, thirty lane facing burpees, fifty yard sled push, one thousand meter run, one hundred dash seventy. Cal Echo Bike, 1,000 meter run, 50 yard sled drag, 30 lane facing burpees, and 50 yard sled drag. 27 minute time cap. So I bet you that run is on an air runner. I don't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or one of those, you know. Uh, it's a two laps on a course. The, then that's much better because normally yeah. if it's a thousand meters, it's like they'll be like, oh yeah, it's a thousand meters, but you gotta get on the air runner for it. Yeah, right. Any machine, as long as you see people moving, this is the only way to go forward. Like to me. Yeah, I want to see people passing people and things like that. Then you can tell who's in front. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the only thing that seems to be it's just the bike things. So there's one where they do the bike twice. They only do the bike once, right in the middle. So that's the only kind of stationary thing. I mean, I would say the same thing about Strongman, too, is, like, there's, to me, there's less events. There's less events now that are two people going at the same time. Yes. And even that setup would be kind of cool for CrossFit, where it's, like, you did head-to-head. Yes. Like a small event, but head-to-head stuff, instead of ten faceless people across the board, like, like the head to head. Yeah, set up heats and have an obstacle course. Better. Yeah. You know, that would be awesome if they set up like, okay, here's this little chipper or whatever the hell you want to call it. or And it's like your time doesn't matter. It only matters that you beat the person you're going against and then they go into bracket play. That would be badass. So that'd be fun. Because then, I mean, basically in something like that, you know, you start off early and. You know, you go just hard enough to beat the person next to you. And then one would think as the bracket goes further down, the competition gets higher and you have to push it more. So it'd be interesting, like we talked about in with Brian Shaw, like you got to at some point in an event like World Strongest Man with the the heats to get qualified and things like that, you can't go come out of the gate screaming. Because if you do, then by the time you get to the end, you're going to be done. So it, it would it would add in a different level of controlling yourself and conserving energy for later in the day. But and that's I mean you look at Froning when he did it. Yeah. When he was winning, that's exactly what he did. You know, early on in events, he's like, oh, Froning takes eighth. Yeah. And yeah, but come day four, who was in the lead? You know, <laughs> uh, half of his magic was his ability to not kill himself early on. Yeah, and he was so much more movement efficiency-wise ahead of people that he was competing against. Like, you could watch, he could breathe completely independently of almost any load and any implement. Yeah. Where a lot of other people, once it got heavy, you'd see a lot of breath holds and stuff, and then it would just be much more fatiguing. Mm -hmm. Which is why it was always interesting to watch him, because you he looked so efficient compared to everybody else and his placing was, you know, he didn't take first, first, first all the time. Yes. 
You're like, oh, he's going to lose and everyone's going to destroy him. No, nah, yeah. he did okay. Yep. You know, by the end of the games, he's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's in the first spot. <laughs> there he is in first again. And, but, I mean, that right there also takes – it takes maturity. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of people like, oh, shit, I'm in ninth. And they'll go into panic mode yep. and start pushing past their ability. And, you know, he was able to say, oh, I'm good. You know, after day two, I'm in tenth. I'm right where I want to be. It takes yeah. a very mature outlook on things. You know, it's he kind of knew if he was within reach, he was there. He just needed to stay within reach for those final days. So, um, yeah, and that takes a special kind of uh, mental fortitude to not panic and just, okay, just keep with the plan. You know, yeah. type of thing. But, yeah, when we watch the... The games when we were in Madison, they had a huge field outside, and so some of the times when it was set up, not all the time, it was much more exciting to watch because you could kind of tell where people were at. Again, not all the events were set up that way, but you know the ones where you could just look without listening to the commentators or looking at the scoreboard and see what was going on, at least to me, was always a lot more exciting. Yeah. But I mean, that's hard to do kind of... that when you're using a time cap and everything is for time. Yes. Yeah. That's for sure. But I mean that's the same thing can be said in a little bit in in powerlifting. You mm-hmm. know, we've seen lots of in any of the events I won. It was like I was never in the lead coming into deadlift. It was okay, I just know I need to be here because I can make up room. You know, and it's just knowing as an athlete what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And uh you know, oh, so there's be within striking distance, but the other part of rich running at the time, this is like early, early ish CrossFit when strength training wasn't very cool. He was like the strongest CrossFitter. He was oh, one yeah. of the first 185 yeah. guys to snatch 300, which that's a pretty difficult feat to do. Yeah. Um, he was squatting like, I mean, and that's a, it's like the people who are squatting more, snatching more, and clean jerking more than you guys are beating. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> more chippers. And like, yeah. <laughs> that's how I was always like the answer. Like, oh, we need to do more chippers. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. But, and they always made a comment. Like, anytime you saw one of those old CrossFit videos, they'd be like, they talk about how strong he is. Yeah. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm about to do some endurance stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> he got strong. And then he started working on, like, he was, got to the point where he was winning and then went to do aerobic stuff. Like he got strong enough to be, you know, deadlift in 550, 600-ish, squatting 500, snatching 300, whatever, like one, and then went to uh, Henshaw or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then started going there, you know, almost like when he, towards when he was going team. Yeah. And it's like that strength is critical. Yes. And it's the hardest thing to gain. And that's like, we've, we've talked about this topic before and that, but that's the part nobody ever wanted to hear. It's like, just get the strength. Like that's going to take you the longest to gain, but it's also going to be the hardest to lose. Once you have that, now you can push your endurance up. But if you're not even on the field, like you come to the snatch events and stuff, if you can't even do it, it's pretty obvious you need to work on that. You know, <laughs> if you're not doing what they're doing, then that's like my deal was always, Trying to, like when I dealt with CrossFit people, it's like, okay, let's figure out if your goal is the regionals, let's look at the top 10 people. Yep. Let's average out what they can do. There's our baseline. Let's get 10% strength above that because we're going to need some blanket, you know, some leeway. And then we can work on the endurance stuff, you know. But if you can't even do the event, you have nothing to endure. Like you can endure not one rep. You know, so your your endurance means nothing if you can't do it at all. Like, who cares if you can do 25 assisted pull-ups? You need to do 50 pull-ups without assistance. So let's work on getting one of those. But Yeah, I <clears throat> lost more than a few clients that came to me, and they're like, oh, I need to work on my <clears throat> endurance. I want to be a regional competitor and hopefully go to the games and, you're like, okay, so I just, you know, said, so what are your, you know, what's just a rough 1RM or even a 3 to 5RM of just main lifts? And they either fell into two camps, like the one camp where they were pretty strong, they had the strength, but 
they never had a, a base of aerobic base and they just mm-hmm. kept metconning themselves to death. Yeah. And those people, if they would listen, it's about like a year. You could make a huge advancement. Yes. But you had to step back, do old school aerobic building, mm-hmm. then add some metcons, keep some strength work in. Yes, everyone in your gym is going to beat you on metcons for probably about nine months. And if they could just hang in, they they actually did really good. And the other ones I would lose right away. I'm like, okay, the people you're competing against, exactly what you said, Phil, your lifts, best case scenario, you're three to five years out from where yes. they are right now. Yes. <laughs> and like, no, it's my endurance. I'm like, no, you're off by like 100 to 200 pounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and that that's going to take years. That's not yes. going to be months. Yes. Exactly. And that's the tough one for them to swallow. But Yeah. Uh, especially in that field. I mean, or in that, I don't know, what do you, what do you want to call it? That uh, CrossFit is a, I guess I could say cold, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> you're in that group of people. And it's uh, it's hard to get them to, to back off the Metcons. They don't, mm-hmm. don't want to do it. And it's like, come on, literally, just lose it for a year. Yeah. And you don't have to not do them. Just yeah, let's just do a lot maintain. less. Yes. Yeah. Let's do a lot less. Let's not worry about that. And uh, But, again, that comes to maturity level and knowing your goals that, you can't something's going to come back to push something way up at a certain level at an early level yeah everything takes off like when you go from couch potato to exerciser you can increase everything dramatically because mm-hmm. your baseline is just shit so uh but after that at a certain point if you get decent at everything to make something great something always has to fall it just does so have you guys noticed that too? I've noticed with <clears throat> with athletes in that area and even other athletes that if they had a pretty big aerobic base, pretty good VO2, you know, not like elite aerobic athlete or anything, but decent, and they were pretty strong, like even Metcon, you know, whatever, lactate type stuff, you know, short 30, 60, 90, 120 seconds, you could get them in pretty damn good shape to do that in like four to eight weeks. You know, it didn't take too long but i've noticed if they're always doing that kind of high output shorter duration stuff it's quite taxing i don't think if you have a big aerobic base you just can't do enough high quality work in that area to actually get better you just (laughs) keep burning yourself out all the time and my rule of thumb with people is if they start as like like aerobic and strength can be trained together. Yes. Like those very high degrees. Like, yeah, I don't. And that's another thing that it's tough to convey is like, no, you need to go, you know, not max effort, but you need to do strength work and really easy aerobic stuff. Yes. For long duration. Yes. And that's like the majority of your season, you know? Yes. Yeah. And once you can kick it into gear, because this is what, this is like the season for – this is when I went to the outlaw camp, but this is their season. And I think everyone kind of treats it about the same. Like between them, the OPEX people, everyone has like the same season where they use the open to like get in shape, like mm-hmm. get in crossfit shape. Mm-hmm. So that's like preseason to them. And then whatever the second step is, which now it's like, you know, sanctionals and, you know, semifinals and all that, that's like where they're kicking in gear to like – uh you know, nat- nationals type shape or American Open type shape for weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And then they peak for the games if they're planning on making the games, essentially. But you still got to leave a bit in the bag. Like, if you have to peak to make it through sanctionals, <laughs> through that second step, if you have to peak there, and you're, you're just going to hold on for dear life when you get to the games. Yeah. And it takes that first year of getting into that where you're like, okay, I know I can make it through that round. Without giving, like, without the coaching having to be, you know, that high output programming for that middle event. Yeah. The middle events or whatever. But yeah, I mean, telling people that, I mean, you could spend like your first three years across it. If you go from like, I kind of lifted in high school to I want to compete, your first three years could easily be just aerobic and strength. Yes. 
aerobic GPP strength and weightlifting and gymnastics. Like, Oh yeah. And then when we drop you back into it, you'll be more prepared than somebody who's been doing CrossFit that whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you just had them lift and jog, you're going to make it a long ways. <laughs> just simple, basic endurance or, or ride a bike, whatever, you know, rower, you know, change it up. But yeah, um, I remember this in, uh, and speakers, I think his name was Vashon, who was in the area, but he's a powerlifter. Right? So, mm-hmm. can do. I mean, it's pretty good too. Like, lightweight powerlifter. I know he was squatting 507 at like, I don't know if it was 160 or 170, somewhere in that range. Nice. And I remember, cause the first, the only gym that had bumper plates was the CrossFit gym at the time. I was like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go here and do whatever. But he's, I want to, try this Fran thing out. And then, so he like does Fran with like strict pull-ups and does it in like less than five minutes. And then it's like, oh, that was kind of cool. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to go run a mile (laughs) to sweat. (laughs) And I think it shocked the people there where I was like, I kind of laughed like, oh, oh, this powerlifter, he's going to be out of shape. But I see that dude all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, he, he just does some base endurance stuff. Yeah. And then, gets really strong and he just came over and kind of kicked you guys' ass on everything. Like, you know, I was faster than him at CrossFit stuff. So that's the only reason I like quote unquote beat him at the workout. But I kind of laugh. Like I'd rather do that. I'd rather. Yeah. And that there was no eye opening. It was just like, Oh, you need to do more CrossFit stuff. Yeah. I think that's where I heard the, the place I heard, Oh, if you want your Olympic weightlifting to get better, you work on hip extension like kipping pull-ups. So kipping is going to make <laughs> weightlifting better. <laughs> yeah. Being shocked. Yeah. That at the time. And I was like, man, uh, that's before I met you, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the landscape of Topeka strength and conditioning. Yeah. Before, <laughs> before I rolled into town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a beautiful thing. I remember me and my wife, I made her visit here and we were like, we came and visited, and it's like, there's nothing going on here. Yeah. And it was like, you could look at that as a good thing or a bad thing. And I was like, yeah. I, let's look at it as a good thing, because it needs something. But, yeah. Yeah. So. And there's also freaks out there, too, who, and I've, you guys have probably seen this, too, where they, you know, they tend to add muscle and strength relatively easy. And yeah. they have just a crazy high VO2 max, probably just genetically. And, they can do minimal aerobic stuff and do pretty damn good. Now, normally they come in at what I've noticed, a lower, you know, body weight. They don't have a lot of muscle per se to start, but the response tends to be pretty good. And we know VO2 max has a very high genetic component associated with it too. So if you kind of find those people, a lot of times I've noticed they can handle a lot of volume for training too. And for CrossFit, that's kind of your, sort of perfect go-to person because you mm-hmm. you want to take my buddy Evan and Aaron Davis have talked a lot about this too is you just want to take weightlifting and make it a, a cyclic event right if you're someone who is super strong and you contract your muscles so hard that you're literally almost like arterial occluding for a couple seconds that's not going to be good if you've got to repeat that for 27 minutes mm-hmm. right you may be super strong for potentially Olympic weightlifting and <clears throat> powerlifting, but you'll just gas out right away. Where yeah. if you're strong, but you can make things sort of sub-max and never really, you know, cut off that blood flow to the muscle, then you can just kind of keep going over and over and over. Yeah, I mean, but that comes back to anything. Uh, it's yeah. just like, it, it's the same thing as like wanting to do, well, when I did, what the hell did I do? I did 500-pound deadlift for, like, 17 reps. Yeah. I didn't train reps at all, you know. I got strong to where 500 was a small portion of what I could do, and then it was easy for me to endure that. Yep. You know? And that's that's the part that the CrossFit community in general ignores. It's like, just make that activity a small portion of your ability and guess what? You'll be able to do it for a long amount of time. Um, like, I can go out and swing a 16-pound sledgehammer all day long because I'm strong. You know, not because <laughs> I go train endurance. It's just like, it's easy. 
it's easy work. Um, and that's missed, uh, on that group somehow. It's like, like you said, they're all like, no, I just need to do more of this. It's like, and the people that I had that went to the Granite Games and stuff like that is we would train all the Metcons heavier. It's like, mm-hmm. if we can do it at 120% of the load, even if it's a bad time, comparatively, by the time they get there and they do the real loads, it's super easy because we've been practicing it much harder than this. Instead of a 90-pound sled push, let's push 180 pounds and, uh, you know, make training hard and competition easy comparatively. So, yeah. But. And you see that in the NFL combine, right? If you're doing bench press for 225, if you're, you know, person Bob has a max bench press of 245 versus, you know, Harry's who's like 375. Yes. Like, which one do you want to train? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, but anyway, man, that's, I don't have much else. What else is going on out in the world? I tried to see if the Swiss conference was announced yet. I don't see that. Um, I guess the European laser thing is going on right now, or was. I think it might be over now. Nothing crazy happened. I, the only big thing I saw happen was there was a, I think it was an Italian guy who broke a clean and jerk world record. Oh, really? What was it at? Uh, he, I want to say he's in that 80-something range, like the 87-kilo class. Palazzo. Palazzo. What was the weight lifted, do you know? Uh, I'm looking at up just a sec. Um, so no, he's a lot old. That's so world record clean and jerk at 89. 217. So 217 mm. kilos, four is like 478. Damn. Yeah. At 89. Which, so 89, so the cleaning jerk, that's pretty high, but the snatches, because the 81 class is like almost snatching almost as much as this 89 class. Hmm. Most of the time. 175 was a snatch, so like a 385 snatch. The 81 class is behind on the clean and jerk by about 10 kilos, but for the most part, because like Lou was always what he hits is like 173 snatch. It's like 170, 173, somewhere in there, and then it's 204 on the clean and jerk. So this strikes me as like maybe this is like just kind of from the reset. This doesn't seem like super high. Well, you see that in powerlifting too and it's these weird between weight classes like in powerlifting a lot of the weight classes are they're a pit stop like for instance the 242 class is really competitive and the 308 class is really competitive the 275 is not it's generally because usually anybody that goes over 242 they might do a meet in between Moving up to 308, they kind of pit stop in that area for a second on their way up, you know. And I, I'm guessing the same thing happens in in weightlifting. Like there's a – in powerlifting, it's also like the 181 class is not that competitive. Most people go to 198, but they'll pit stop there for a minute on their way up and on the years it takes to go up to wherever they're headed. But, and it's only been in recent years that – like it used to be powerlifters, let's say you started at 15 years old, I started in 181, and then what you see over a 10-year career is they consistently keep going up weight classes. And it's been in recent years, you see this huge fight for people to like, no, I'm a 198 lifter. And they yes. like fight to fucking stay there. It's like, dude, if yeah. you just ate a sandwich, you would. <laughs> yeah, okay, so you'd be 20 pounds heavier, but your lifts would be up 30%, you know. And I, I got stuck in that. Like, I was a 242er for a long time, and I was trying to pull 700 or 242, and then I allowed myself to eat, and, like, two months later, I'm pulling 700. Yeah. And, you know, I gained 30 pounds on my lift. I gained 10 pounds of body weight. And it's like, oh, fuck. I just wasted two years trying to stay at 242. <laughs> you 
<laughs> and, uh, for Wailer no reason. Like, yeah, Wailer's being super Wailer. messy right now, though, because um, the Olympic weight classes, are they, they're not the same as the yes. – I mean, they're the same, but there's a lot less Olympic weight yes. classes than there are for the Europeans and all that stuff. But – and that's what they're – that's what all the fighting has been about in the last few years is is like how do they judge the point scoring, right? So let's say they don't – I can't remember what the weight class is off the top of my head, so forgive me for that. But let's say you're an 89, but there's only an 81 class in the Olympics, but you go and you crush the 89s for two years or whatever, and then you cut down. It's like you haven't been in that 81 class and so they're trying to figure out how to score that in terms of the Olympic stuff, like Olympic scoring, essentially. Mm-hmm. So now it helps in terms of team stuff because then it's like if you still get, you know, however many people per lifting team, that's what essentially matters. But it is super messy right now. So it's it's kind of one of those things. I think people are kind of gearing themselves to just be away from the Olympics and stop, like get out of the Olympic cycle. Yeah. Which I think that'll be the most interesting weightlifting development over the next two years is if people are getting out of the Olympic cycle, like they're, they're saying, okay, fine, we're done with that. And they just go back to focusing on the, the full weight class spread and doing hopefully more fun events than like whatever the Olympics, like the broadcasting for the Olympics always sucks and all mm-hmm. that. I mean, the crotch camera angle, mm-hmm. I don't. I've never understood that. <laughs> <laughs> and like they do that every year. It's like, oh yeah, that's this is the angle we all want to see. Yeah, like, I always thought that was weird, but I just thought that was an Olympic weightlifting thing. I, I didn't know any different. Yeah. yeah, I mean maybe maybe they're trolling us. Like, yeah, you guys are just looking at <laughs> balls all the time, <laughs> or, or whatever. I don't understand. Like, there's nothing you gain as a viewer from that angle. Not yeah. not a coach, not an athlete, nothing. Especially when they're wearing like the red singlet instead of the black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that that part. I mean, if if that opens the door, like if we open the door to that, I think way the thing will get more interesting again, rather than people fighting to secure. Because there's only like five, four. It's like four or five different weight classes for this next Olympics. So there's hardly any weight classes, and the medals have been cut down. The you know. We've been in trouble for a long time, so we'll see what happens with all that. But yeah, it's it's weird, and there are certain weight classes that won't get any records. Like they'll have the records will stay low because they're not Olympic classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of like the purgatory that Olympic weightlifting is in right now. Yeah. And it's officially out of LA, right? Is there a way of getting back? Uh, I don't, I don't know if there's a way of getting back, but yeah, as far as we know right now, I don't think it's out. Gotcha. Which will be interesting to see how that changes weightlifting. But do you think if you're stuck at a certain weight, and I think it's probably different for powerlifting versus Olympic lifting, and you've been kind of beating your head against the wall for you know a couple of years? And you want to stay in that weight class, <clears throat> you don't want to go up in weight class. Do you think it would be an advantage to go up in a weight class temporarily, hit whatever lift you want to hit? Oh, and yeah. And keep that and then go back down? Yes, 100%. And that's, that's always like been a lot my of my power. That's, that's the that's way crazy. to do it. It's like, why don't you get, like, here's your record. Like, I don't know, whatever record. Let's say somebody needs to squat 900 at 242. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just worry about the number. Right. Regardless of your body weight. Like, we just have to be able to fucking do that. And then we can worry about body weight. You know, as long as you're not, like, 350 pounds. Right. Like, it takes you 110 pounds over your weight class, but, like, let's move up to 242 or whatever. Let's weigh 240 and squat 900. Now, we have the ability to do it. It's in the fastest way to gain strength, and it's, it's just common knowledge. Like, if you eat and train hard... You're gonna get stronger. Um, so let's just worry about getting the strong down, and then we can worry about limiting the bullshit that goes in your pie hole, mm-hmm. you know, and try and maintain that. Um, yeah, that is by far the fastest, but nobody wants to hear that. 
Right. Uh, because today you get, like, that was the difference. And, like, you had two extremes. Like, when I started powerlifting, you had the whole, it was a big, it was the heyday of multiply. Mm-hmm. So the in thing to do was shove 50 pounds of potatoes into 100 pounds, or 100 pounds of potatoes in a 50-pound suit. And so it was just eat at all costs and move more weight. And then you see this resurgence of raw and people were overly worried now about what they look like. And it was like, that fucking bar doesn't give a shit. What you <laughs> look like. like your job is to lift weight. And, you know, if you're that worried about your waistline, maybe you need to pick a different sport. Um, so even, honestly, even with, up, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, even even for physique stuff, and I almost never get this to happen, is like if we get you to just start eating more out of the gate, like do instead of just starting with the cut, which is what almost everyone wants mm-hmm. to do, is like if we start you eating a ton and then we cut you later, the the process is way better. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, you make it a lot further. Yeah. And like, even for like the most vapid, like shallow goal of physique, where yeah, yeah, I don't mean to pick on the ladies, but often it's ladies who come in. If I was like, all right, you know, you're here now, but we're gonna go up in food and then start cutting. We're gonna go up in food for six to twelve weeks, and then we're gonna start the process of cutting after that. If you committed to that process, your cut and your actual results would be way better. Yes. You look better, you feel better, all of it. Yes. Because, I mean, hell, just look at the basic, I don't know, thermodynamics of it. Like, when I'm eating up for a meat and training hard, like, I just sweat because mm-hmm. everything gets ramped up. It's like my metabolism starts going into high fucking gear. And the minute I, there's a reason, like, when I'm done with a meat, I'll lose, like, 35 pounds in a very short amount of time uh, without trying because I'm just, my body's jacked and running on high, you know, and so I take away a little bit of food, and it's just like, it just falls off. But, and yeah, you just jack people up, and also there's no faster way to, to get strong than just excess calories. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember. I can't quote the study, but, there, like, there's studies out there where people just overeat and didn't train, and they still gain an appreciable amount of muscle mass just by eating. Yeah, it was up to... Forty-two percent. Yeah, just by one of the eating studies. Yeah. without training, you know. So you throw in the training aspect of that, and holy shit, you're just tilting scales in your right direction. So that's, of course, you don't want to start that out. I wouldn't take somebody that's like clinically obese and be like, dude, we're gonna fucking cram shit in your body. Yeah. Train. <laughs> totally different story. But you, you know, the average person, uh, they just don't understand how much they can get out of just. Just training and, and eating. Don't even change your habits of eating to start even. Just train hard. Just learn that part of it. And your scale is probably going to go up just because you're training hard. But who gives a shit? And we still have this. There's still a big tie to the scale. And that's what I try and get people. is like we will worry about your weight class later. Most of my power lifters that are new, it's like I don't even care what weight class you're at. Let's just train and do a meet. And you're yeah. just going to do whatever weight class you happen to fall in by the time we get there. Because you're not breaking any records. We don't need to worry about weight classes until until you can break a record. It's like, why cut? And we see that a lot. I see people, like, cutting down to, I need to cut from 223 to 198 to break the Shawnee County record. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> you know, why are you? You're wasting months of progress. By going backwards to get a plastic trophy that says you're the best in your county. You know, it's dumb. But uh, just keep training and, and working hard until you actually get somewhere where you can, like, set a record that means a shit. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, I noticed that when <clears throat> we did an experiment in Costa Rica where we took guys and had them lift four days in a row, had them do the same list. We monitored velocity and a whole bunch of other parameters. It's under review right now. Uh, but the question we had was, you know, beating these guys up for two, two and a half hours every day, will they still be kind of getting better by day four? And in some cases, and these were, you know, recreational, some were pretty high level trained athletes. They, on some of the accessory stuff, they were still getting better. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I was helping in the study and I was one of the people in the study. So my buddy Ryan and I would lift in the afternoon after we got done with all the data collection in the morning. And I realized that the nice part is right my buddy Ben House's place. So, you know, the food is relatively, you know, controlled. It's the same environment. People aren't going out at night or whatever. So in the middle of the jungle in Costa Rica, I was eating like four times a day, like pretty much as much as I could. And I was still waking up in the middle of the night, like murdering quest bars and finding their dead carcasses around my bed in the morning. I was just so hungry. Mm-hmm. And I've, I forgot. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like if you're training hard on multiple days and you're eating mostly real food, it's hard to get in enough calories to yeah. operate at that level. Mm-hmm. And it's much higher than I think what people realize. Yes. And then the second sort of principle I have, too, is whatever it is you want to do, can you do something that looks sort of as close to it as possible and then have that be a form of progression? Right. So I'm working on lifting the inch dumbbell. So one of the things I've been doing is paradoxically using straps with it. And people are like, well, that's a stupid idea. You can't. The straps don't count. And I'm like. But I'm still exposing my body to a one-hand lift yeah. with 175. <laughs> mm-hmm. Granted, it's not the end goal. And then taking d- another dumbbell, I got this from my buddy Adam, stabilizing it with an offhand. So I'm limiting the rotation on purpose. And then how many reps can I do that way? Right? Yeah. Can I put other counterweights on it and tilt the shit out of it and still get a lift on a lighter bell? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, but that's so stupid. That's not the final lift. I'm like, no, it's just a, a progressive goal. Is yeah. that, or what do I do? Stare at the thing on the ground and never pick it up? <laughs> yeah, like, no, and that's what like, are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing in powerlifting. Like I, I will have people do like high rack pulls. Yeah, same now idea. I don't. They're not. I don't think it transfers well to lift. But like, if their body just has never, it's a good way to hold that load. Yep. Like your body's like, oh, okay, I know what that feels like. Yep. Um. And that's the same thing as with walkouts and things like that. A heavy walkout. Same idea. Like, yeah, just just get your body accustomed to that weight can help. And I think a lot of it might be on the mental side. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, a lot of it's But, I mean, you can't ignore the mental aspect of training. Like, if your body feels something that's like, holy shit, what is that? <laughs> um, there's a good chance you're not going to make it. But if you have, if you're used to it, yeah, it can help a ton. So. Yeah, I do think that's – I've used more chains on just uh, squatting lately too because I'm like, eh, if it's only, you know, 30 pounds of chains on each side, it's not a whole lot. Yeah. But at the top, that's 60 pounds more weight that I fully mm-hmm. have to load. And, yeah, they're going to deload at the bottom, but, you know, I still lifted more with them than without. Yes. Yeah, yes. I think even just from the, the mental side of it, I think that's a, a huge carryover too and being accustomed to the load and when you walk it out and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. So. All right. We can call it a day there. Yeah. So I'm going to go get my squat on now that we've got squatting. So. All right, everybody. Until next week, we will see you again. See ya.